0: Today we are finally looking into the Lord's Prayer, uh, as I teased you all a bit last week with, and I want to start off by asking another question. What is something that you know too well, something that was once this brand new shining thing that is now just an everyday part of your life? In fact, you probably barely even think about it. It could be a new set of clothing. Uh, It could that are now, you know, they're in the back of your cupboard and you don't even know they exist anymore. could be a new car you've gotten and after a couple of weeks it's it's very similar to the old one. It's got four wheels, it's got an engine and there's not much different to it than what you once had. Um, When it comes to the Lord's Prayer, I think it can be like this for Christians. It's something that we've learnt growing up. It was something that's always said in church. It's read at special events or used to start prayer meetings. It's written on bookmarks or on posters in your church hall. It's so familiar to us. Not only is it familiar, it's layered in the traditions and the liturgies that have spanned the last few thousand years. And that for good reason too. But today I want us to strip it right back. I want to pull these layers off of tradition, of liturgy, of repetition, and I want us to look at it now as if we'd never read it before, with these baby fresh eyes, brand new and shining. And so as we do that, let's pray. Father, as we look into the prayer that you've given us as a guide of how we should pray, may we learn what it is to talk to you, Maybe learn more about you, how we can humbly submit and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we covered the first part of this chapter as our safe entrance into the Lord's Prayer. And just to quickly recap what we saw was two ways not to pray, as an opposite to what we're looking at now of how to pray. And we saw these as heart attitudes that can be familiar to us in our own lives. We saw the hypocrite who prayed aloud for the approval of others, and we saw the babbler whose rambling thought that that would help him get heard by his God. And then we saw a heart attitude at the end, a heart that sought God in private, where there could be no influences to affect them. We saw the heart that looked for sincere, vulnerable communication with God. And so with that in mind, we're going to look at how that prayer goes. And to kick that off, the very first thing we need to note is that this is how we should pray, not what we should pray. Jesus isn't calling us here to recite this prayer every single time we pray. Else we should pull the whole Psalms out of the Bible. The key is not to be like the babbler that is just before this prayer. It's not about the repetition of this that brings God joy. Now, there's nothing wrong with praying the Lord's Prayer word for word. There's, there's many benefits to it. It's why we do it in church. But every time we need to check our hearts, that we're not doing it for the sake of repetition or so that others can see how godly we are because we're saying it. Because it's not actually written to repeat word for word. It's written so that we can see how God, what God desires for us and how we can grow in that relationship with Him as we communicate with God. Because prayer is us talking to God. And so we start the prayer by who to pray to? Our Father. We pray to the Father. And the Bible's not flippant in this use of the word Father. It's the relationship that's being addressed straight up, which can bring up, A lot of emotions for us because in the reality of life some of us have had good experiences with our dads and some of us haven't and so this needs to be treated gently but what it's calling us to do is to treat God as our dad and God as our dad is available accessible in control, understanding, disciplinary, loving, gentle, and so much more. And notice that it's our father. It's not the father, it's our father. That's because it's an exclusive relationship that we as Christians have with God. And our dad is in heaven. Our father in heaven. Our dad in heaven. Our dad at home. This is meant to remind us of our standing before God too. Not only us as his children, but him as our king. And this calls for humility and reverence on on our behalf as we understand who our dad is. Next it says, hallowed be your name. Or as other translations put it, may your name be kept holy. And hallowed is this old school word that's not really used in general conversation today anymore, but basically it's to be holy. It's it's the verb use of the word holy. It's an action. It's not particularly useful because it's not a word that we use in everyday life. And I think this is a point where we can be tempted to be the hypocrite by using this word when it doesn't actually get used The only other situation you'll find this word is in the word Halloween, and there's a bit of an irony there as well. What hallowed is, is to be kept holy, that God's name would be kept holy. And we might scratch our heads for a second, as this seems to be affirming something that already is. But remember, we're targeting heart attitudes. We're being called to regard God as holy in our hearts and our minds. God is our dad, but God is holy. And so in our hearts and in our prayers, we remember the position God is in as our dad and also our king. So what does this holiness look like? I'm going to quickly look at Isaiah 6. It should be up on the screen as well. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, Seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six rings, wings. Two wings they covered their face, and two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hands, which he had taken with tongues from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. This is the holiness of God, unapproachable except by his approval. His presence alone is enough to Isaiah has ruin him, but for the grace of God, which has chosen us as his people. Next in the prayer, your kingdom come. And this is a really common theme through the book of Matthew. It comes up around 30 times. It's the kingdom of hope, of safety, of peace, of comfort. It's where God is now, and it's where we're journeying towards. And this is a request for it to come to earth. It comes from the heart that acknowledges God as their dad and king and wishes to see more people join this kingdom You see, this request, your kingdom come, is evangelical in nature. And this kingdom grows not physically, but spiritually in the hearts of those who can call God dad. And so this prayer, this is a prayer that helps us seek what God wants for people to come to know him. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a request the desiring that ahead of our own desires that God would be put first. It comes from a heart that is submitting to God in all things. And we see an example of what this looks like. In fact, Jesus sets the example of what this looks like before his trial in the garden. As he prays before the rulers sees him, he asks that God's wrath be taken from him, but he prays. Yet not my will, but yours. I think it's fair to say that all of us have gone through hard times in our lives. And there's not generally a more desirable time for relief than in those times. But the challenge here, the prayer here, is to guide our hearts to submitting to God's plan in these times. It might be the loss of a loved one or a child. Sickness, relationship breakdowns, persecution and suffering. These are all things that have and will happen. But we pray this prayer seeking to follow Jesus' submission of God to the Father. Now these first three petitions, do do you notice a theme in them? Each of them is looking to God. It's drawing our hearts to God, who he is, how we view him, his heart for his people, how he's in control of all things. And I think what this first half of the prayer is getting us to do is that when we pray, we seek and submit to God first, that we focus on him first in our prayers. We start our prayers by looking up. And how does this work practically? But that's the best part is that's up to you. That's between you and God because this is how we should pray. And so take this principle, submit to God and look to him first when you pray. The next three requests are about our needs. And so it goes, give us today our daily bread. And this is a request that God provide what we need today, be it physical, emotional, spiritual. When we pray this, though, we submit to his answer in what he gives us. We ask for what we need and no extra. In the Proverbs it puts it like this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. And so when we pray this, we can come to God expectant to get what we need for the day but it also means we need to come with a humility to accept that it may not be what we think it is. The next request, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. There's almost this assumption that those who call God their dads forgive those that sin against them. It's a statement here that we do forgive those who sin against us. And so it should be as people who have been forgiven more Then what we can understand by God, we forgive those who sin against us. Because who are we to hold on to the wrongdoings others have done against us, considering all the things that God has forgiven us of? But does this mean if we are struggling to forgive, if we're not quite there yet, then we're not a Christian? Does it rule us out? No. We know our salvation is based on the grace of God. We are saved by grace alone. Is it then a part of our salvation? No, it's not. What if you're really struggling to forgive someone? That's okay. Keep wrestling. That you are actively dealing with it and pursuing it and bringing it to God and seeking to forgive is what is being called for. And keep at it. Keep praying about it. Seek God's forgiveness for your sins and remember that as you seek to forgive those who have sinned against you, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. After seeking forgiveness of our sins, the prayer directs us finally to the heart that seeks to resist evil in the first place, to a place of fighting the temptation, but not on our own. Now this is another request for God to intercede for us, to help us be like him. And this part of the prayer Comes from a heart that sees the sin and the desires that sin offers and says, God, help me avoid the sin that nailed Jesus on the cross for me and cling to you. And that means being delivered from the evil one. And that means turning down the inner temptation to sin. And there's a tension here as we live in a world that's, that struggles with this. But pray constantly that God will deliver you from evil, not remove you from it. If you wanted that, we would have to leave the world. No, we're called to be in the world and a part of it every day. But being in the world as Christians, we need to seek help to resist the temptations, temptations of money, of hate, of bitterness and envy, of lust and greed. And we seek that help from the one who's actually able to help us, from God, our Father. Because the Lord's Prayer in the end is about seeking God and submitting to his plan first, then seeking help from him in our life. And remember, this is how we pray, not what we pray. And so this doesn't mean that we never cry out to God in anger or frustration, nor does it mean we can't sing out to God in praise and thankfulness. Rather, in those prayers, we hold to the words of Jesus by seeking God's plan and trusting him to fulfill our needs. This doesn't mean our prayers need to be long or short. It's about a sincere heart that's seeking God. It doesn't mean we can't quote this word for word or recite it together. But when we do, we must check our hearts that we are not like the hypocrite or the babbler. The Lord's prayer is a sincere heart, desiring humbly for God's plan and trusting in their life to him. That is how we pray. And so let us pray. Father, we come before you thankful that you are our Father, that you have chosen us, that in you we receive what we need every day. Help us to continue to humbly submit to you, seeking you in all things. Lord, forgive us as we forgive those who sin against you. Guide us through temptation with our eyes focused on Jesus. Jesus' name. Amen.